I'm Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frequently frustrating technical aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Well, I'd like to say hello to our listeners. And you may know that we've been on a bit of a hiatus. So I'd like to thank you for continuing to listen and support us. And I'm pleased to say that we are joined today by a very familiar voice. Her name is Alice Cooper, a licensed clinical social worker for cognitive neurology at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Now you may remember that we were joined by Alice Mullins a few episodes back uh, when she talked about the benefits of support groups, but she's now Alice Cooper. And Ms. Cooper in particular provides a broad range of services, especially for those affected by Alzheimer's and dementia and particularly for their caregivers. So I'd like to say welcome to Ms. Alice Cooper. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Thank you for returning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to start by saying I'm a caregiver and I know what I do on a daily basis, but tell our listeners the responsibilities of a caregiver. Oh my goodness, that's so many. Uh, you know, it's, it's so funny because when it comes to caregiving, you know, when you start actually writing down, because it's a role that you have writing down that as a caregiver, you become, you may become nurse, you may become the chef, you may become the chauffeur, you may become the detective, you may become the uh, medical, uh, whatever, the advocate, you uh, are the, the person who is dressing them, the personal assistant, you are the banker, the financial person. There's so many different, different roles. I mean, different parts that you play as a caregiver. And all of those you've mentioned, I do that twice over. As our listeners know, I'm caring for my mother and gratefully mm -hmm. she's still with me. And I go through all of those scenarios maybe 10 times a day. Mm -hmm. And so... How do you train a caregiver to do these different roles or is there a way? So, um, so there is, there is a way there, there are ways for caregivers to get trained. And I think it's first understanding that you can get trained as a caregiver. Um, a lot of times family members were put into situations to where we just, we just call it, well, we're the caregiver. And, but nobody taught us in school, what does this mean? What does this mean as a daughter to go into having to take care of two parents and two parents who may still function in a way or still have their personalities and things and still see you as daughter. 
So nobody trains us in school to, okay, now I've got to learn how to navigate, you know, interpersonal relationships with my parents and with the medical team, all of those things. And so first off, it's recognizing that there are skills involved that yes, we're gonna do the best as we can going into it, what we know because we love this person or we're responsible for this person. Um, but it's learning, I, I think that the skills of how do you navigate someone who has an cognitive impairment? What does that look like? There are trainings, um, there, I can't say that there are a whole lot. There may be, but the formal trainings of being in a class, I don't know of a whole, a whole lot throughout because it's hard. Not to mention also, we think caregivers are like, well, when do I have time? I'm taking care of everybody. How, how do I have time to get trained? And so it's figuring that out. But there are some trainings, there are educational videos, there are classes that may be able to help. I, I think the thing is, it's learning, okay, what's needed? It's like, I need a skill on how to manage behaviors, because that's what we're dealing with a lot of time. It's, it's behaviors, because um, we, we focus so much, especially in my role, I think about when I'm first seeing caregivers and patients, they're coming in because the medical, okay, what medications, what things are we going to use to help my person? And what they find over the trajectory of the illness is that medications can only help so much. It is up to the caregiver to learn non-pharmacological strategies, non-medication strategies on how to help the person. So getting the skills, I think it's classes, it's education really. And if it's in pieces, doing it online, going, maybe it's talking with your particular, um, your particular medical facility to see if they have trainings, you know, the VA, you know, if you're part of that group, they may have trainings. Alzheimer's Association may have trainings. So it's really looking into that, but it's, it's about getting education and skills. And you mentioned all of those, and those are wonderful. But the key thing I heard from you was non-pharmacological training. Yes. That's what most of us who are, you know, like one-on-one -on -one with a loved one yes. have to learn. Mm -hmm. And it's, you hear all the time, like, pack your patience. And that's what I've tried to do all these years. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard. Yes. <laughs> so. So you just try to be patient. And I think those personal relationships, if you can make that the person you're caring for feel safe. Yes. And comfortable. Yes. And, and uh, have familiar surroundings. Mm -hmm. Important, isn't it? How important yeah. is that? So what's going on as someone is going further and further into the dementia process, it's harder for them to connect. It's harder for them maybe in terms of language. Language is a big part in terms of how we talk with, how we communicate. 
And so once that starts to be impaired or they have difficulty understanding, difficulty connecting, it is about the emotional need. Because sometimes also remember, we're dealing with someone who has impairment, who may have hallucinations, who may have delusions, who cannot communicate, I'm in pain. And so it comes out in their behaviors. And so what we have to do is we have to focus as caregivers is, I may not be able to meet, I, I hear a lot of this, I wanna go home, I wanna go home. They keep telling me they wanna go home, but they're home. And I keep telling them they're home. And so people are trying to use that language and that reasoning when it's understanding the emotional need is, I, I'm trying, to, I may be trying to feel safe. I may be trying to feel secure. I'm insecure about something. I may be having something going on, but what comes out is I want to go home because that's what home represents, safety, security. Wow. Thank you for that because I've experienced that with my mom. It tends to happen if I take her out for a mm-hmm. doctor's appointment and we stay out a little bit longer than usual mm-hmm. and we come home and she says, I want to go home. And I say, we're at home and we Mm -hmm. go back and forth with this. So thank you for that. That explains her feeling. She doesn't realize she's home, but she's trying to tell me she wants to be safe. Right, right. And, And it could be, again, there's so many different things. It can mean so many different things for people. And that's the thing when I talk about being a detective, it's figuring out, you know, what was going on beforehand? And like you said, you just recognized, okay, we were out for a longer period of time. She becomes disoriented because she's out of her familiars, but her mind is having to try and work and piece together what things are. She comes home. And so you realize, okay, she's saying, well, I want to go home because her brain can't recognize it, is having difficulty, and it's, okay, I need to be someplace familiar, maybe. I need to be, there's something in here that just isn't quite right for me. Or my home, what I'm remembering is way back where I grew up. Because what am I accessing? I'm accessing usually my long-term memory, because that's stored in a different place than your short-term memory. So that may be what she's accessing too, but it's that what is familiar to me. That makes so much sense because after she says she wants to go home, she starts talking about her siblings, Mm. parents who obviously are no longer with us. Mm -hmm. So my goodness, you're brilliant. (laughs) Uh, No, that's not me. It's all me learning. (laughs) And I'm still learning. I'm still continuing to learn. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So thank you. And in that instance, I need to pack my patients because it may take 10 or 15 minutes to explain to her that she is at home. So other caregivers who are listening, you just have to pack your patients and just realize that your person may be in a moment where they're confused. And that seems to be all the time, but they're there's a reason for it that you right. and and I think also you know one of the things you you just mentioned about you know okay I'm telling her over and over that she's home she's home okay again part of the thing is realizing that sometimes with in, in terms of some person's dementia is that reasoning 
is impacted. Because we're always thinking, I, I shouldn't say we're always thinking, but a lot of times I come into people where they're just thinking dementia is memory, that that's what's impacted. But that's not all that's impacted sometimes because cognition thinking is more than just memory. It is reasoning, it is judgment, it's perception, it's abstraction, it's all these different things, organization. And so when we go to tell somebody, well, no, this is this and this is why, you're assuming all the time that that reasoning is intact when in fact, it may not be. And so basically you're coming up against the wall and having to go back and forth when, okay, if they're not home, if they're not feeling home, oh, I know you want to be home. You know, what is home, what does home feel like? Or what does it look like? Maybe asking a question, something like that. Maybe tending to the emotional need and then redirection. It's not always orienting somebody back to a space trying to reason with them where they are, but going to where they are. Wow. I'm learning a lot right now because I sort of uh, get frustrated with myself realizing that she can't really comprehend what I'm saying, but you said something very key, go to where she is. Mm -hmm. And that's not something I've been doing. I've been trying to bring her to where I am. Yes. But I yes. need to go to where she is. That is another brilliant, profound thing. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> Thank you. This is going to help me a lot. So <laughs> good. So let me give you a loaded question. Uh-oh. Okay. Describe the ideal caregiver. Ooh, the ideal caregiver. Woo. Okay. I think the ideal caregiver. No, I think, and I think the ideal caregiver is going to be different in every situation in terms of the person. I think, but I think there are things that can make the caregiving role or how you're experiencing it different. First thing, when you talk about patients, I talk about self-care. That's the number one thing. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're depleted, then how you caregive, how you care for a person is going to be impacted. There's just no way that you can tell me that if you are empty, that you can have patience to the extent that you can have it, that you, that you just, it, it is for me, I don't find it probable that if you're not taking care of yourself, that the caregiving for that person is, is, I don't want to say excellent, but it's up to where both of you need it to be. So one thing is self-care, making sure. Two is having education on the illness. Whatever the illness is, that person understands. They may not, I'm not saying that you have to know all the full biology of it, but I'm saying to understand what are symptoms? What's, I want to say normal, but what's usual behaviors of someone who has dementia? What is, it, it's recognizing, okay, that the limitations that somebody may have or the strengths that somebody may still have. So it's getting education about the illness, 
being an advocate, being an advocate when it comes to your medical team, understanding and recognizing that you are an important part. You are the person who's on the ground doing the work and being able to see, no, she isn't sleeping. No, this medication is not working in this way. Being an advocate, being someone, and but also recognizing that the team is there to help you, that you're all there, you're all important. But you as a caregiver, recognizing your important role in this, asking questions that you don't just have to say, okay, you're saying this to me, I just accept it. If you have questions, ask the questions. If not at that moment, go back later. Send them a message, ask the questions. That's so important. On that very important point, we will pause our discussion with clinical social worker, Alice Cooper, and continue with Ms. Cooper in our next episode, where she will discuss some scenarios and solutions that us caregivers must navigate on a daily basis. Tune in next time.